You know, this morning we're going through the last section of telling life what to do. And I, and I want us to be reminded that the whole purpose of this teaching series is not, well, the pastor didn't know what to teach, so he just does a series at the beginning of the year because every pastor does a New Year series. Uh, no, that is not what it was. It's to, it's to shake us all out of the things we get stuck in because the year changed. The year changed, did we? The days changed, did we? God invested 24 hours in us. What do we do with them? And oftentimes it's easy to get caught up in, in life telling us what to do because we simply feel something or we think something or, or, we, or we start to make things more important that really don't matter. In 100 years is what I'm saying and what I'm doing going to matter. It's a good test. And, and it's important for us to remember how we closed last week was there's a two-part piece of God's vision and plan for us. And, and God's vision and plan starts with us knowing his purpose and that becoming ours. And the challenge that I gave to everyone, I don't have one up here, but a challenge I gave to everyone was, was take one of these journal sheets. If you didn't get one this week, there's some on the Bible back there. And if you didn't get those, get it on the podcast. We've got a link to download as many as you want. But to get to know this God. Because we can't know his purpose if we don't know him, right? And some of us, and, and, and I'm included in that, some of us get a little bit misguided at times and, and we lose the purpose that we think we had. And, and I want to draw you guys to, you don't have to turn there because we're not going to read it, but I want to share. Joshua 14 outlines something that I think many of us miss in the Bible stories of Caleb. Now, Caleb was, was 80-something years old. He shows up. They've entered the promised land. Caleb didn't say, now, where is the flattest, most fertile land? Because remember, there were only two people that got to go to the promised land from the original brats that came out of Egypt. Two. And Caleb shows up, and he goes, hey, listen, because I actually had faith, unlike you pansies, I want the best. But you know what he said? He said, I want the mountain with the giants. He didn't say, I want the easy chair. He said, I want the mountain with the giants. And let me share something. Ken Boa, who writes Bible studies for, uh, I think it's BibleStudyTools.org or BibleStudy.org, he said this. In Joshua 14, Caleb is finally going into the promised land. Passion and clear purpose served Caleb well for his many years. For Caleb, that purpose and its consequent passion were transcendent. I mean, you know, they, 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 they come, encompassed everything. They affected everything in his life. They were greater than any product of promotion or profit. No one, en no one enticed him to it, and it wasn't from simply gain or a gift of what he did. He found a life-consuming passion. And here's what he says. In Joshua 14, he says, I follow my Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. And there is no higher purpose and no greater passion that exists. And that's absolute truth. I'll tell you that, you know, there's jokes that go around in Christian circles, church circles, all those different things about pastors love their series and all this different stuff. And some of it's kind of funny and such. But let me just share that this has been, I guess it's never been different, but this has been something that has been a massive wrestling match with God working on things in me. And I want to challenge you all. That what God wants to do, especially with today, this is one, this is one point, this is one piece of God's vision that I think many of us struggle with taking that step into consistently. It's easy to think of, yeah, I want to know God. I want to be close to him. But in order, when we get close to him, he infects us. He gets into us. And the evidence of that is that our, his agapeo, his unconditional give a care, gets into us. And if we don't have that, if we're indifferent towards certain things that God has made important in our life, we need to challenge our life and not have a pity party, but go, you know what? I don't know God. I don't know him like I should. And don't let that drive you to feeling bad for yourself. Cut it out. You can't make it anyways. Go to the one who gives you that purpose. 
So that's the challenge before even getting into it this morning. Or maybe, wow, you've already gotten into it, Pastor. Yes, I have. John chapter 17, you can turn there because we're going to read a couple verses. I'm just going to put point number two. Open the screen here for us to see Will you turn to John 17. We're just going to read the last two verses, and we'll finish this series this morning. Verse 18 and 19 here. Sorry, last few verses of us are in our study. Jesus says this, as you sent me into the world. Think of that. As you sent me in, in, in a duplication of my sending the protocol, the methods, the vision, the plan, the purpose, the goals, the empowering, everything. As you sent me into the world, wait for it, I also have sent them into the world. And when you see them, put a me. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Just an aside on verse 19, realize there that holiness, and we talked about this in our first teaching in the series, holiness doesn't come from me setting myself apart as better, as more righteous, as more legalistic than others. Holiness doesn't come from that. Holiness comes from the truth of God alive in my life. That's holiness. Holiness is not, oh yeah, I don't do that. That's self-righteousness. Holiness is God has transformed us, and I don't care what it takes. I don't care anything. I will go as far to the edge of sin itself. I will not sin, but I will go to the edge, and any, I will do anything but sin itself to accomplish the purposes God has for me. Are we willing to do that? I'm not comfortable with some of those things, Joe. Now you have your prayer request. Now you have where God's going to challenge you. Well, how could you say that, Pastor? Because that's the same thing that God's worked on in me. And I want to share from transformation. And I've heard someone say to me before when I was sharing with them this point here that the second purpose or second piece of God's simple vision for us is to, to know him. And the, or sorry, the first one is to know him. And the second is to make him known. That's it. In fact, I challenge everybody in, in our minds right now to think, well, what, what is another purpose that would go in front of to make him known? We have to know God first. That's point number one. What would be more important than making God known? As a Christian, what would be more important? There isn't anything. We have to know him, and then we have to make him known. It's a virtuous cycle. We are reached, we grow, and through growing, we are sent. And when we're sent, we reach. And then we, when we reach others, we're growing, and then they're growing, and then we're sent, and then we reach, and then we grow, and then we send, and then we reach, and then we grow, and we send. Sound familiar? on our sign it's the vision that God gave for Rise Chapel because it's the vision that's already in scripture it's not new trust me it wasn't Joe's idea God just told me but I had someone respond to me because they, they're like Joe I, I'm not an evangelist I've already done the spiritual gifts test and I didn't get evangelist sorry that's very different if you'd like to have that conversation with me afterwards I'll talk to you and help set the perception straight and this person said to me, well, wait a second. If he's God, why, why doesn't he just tell everybody himself? And I stared at him for a second, and I said, he did. Our entire dating system, no matter where you change it, BCE, BC, whatever, it's still, in history, is centered on the cross. He completely transformed the entire world. What is the biggest thing people fight about? The Messiah. Whether it's the ones waiting for the Messiah getting brutalized or the ones who have received the Messiah getting brutalized. But it centers on Christ. He has made himself known very, very loudly. And us, in, in a response to that, what are we doing with it? You know, look at evangelism. And that word comes from the, the, the English transliteration that means to make known the gospel. It's always encompassed into one word, evangelizo, and different combinations of that in Greek. And it's to make known the gospel. To make it known. You go through all out scripture and you actually do a word study on that actual Greek word. It's, and it's amazing to see where it comes up. 
And you know, the number one reason that people typically don't share their faith, it's one word, fear. Now, if we take that and we, and we apply logic, and I challenge this all, God gave us logic. Take that fear and think of what that could be. It could be, well, fear that I'm going to mess up. It could be fear that, that I might do something wrong or, or they might have an aggressive response. Let's just challenge the logic of any fear in evangelism. Think of that. Any fear in evangelism. Number one, if I have fear that that person's going to get mad at me, wah. So? We answer to God for obedience first, not someone else's feelings. Here's the next one to think about. I have fear because I might mess it up. Then we forgot what we're really sharing because it says the gospel is the power of Christ, not the power of Joe, Frank, Sally, Billy. The power of Jesus Christ. Well, well, what if it's like in another country and if you share Jesus, you die? Lucky. <laughs> That's not that bad. Now, I don't want to leave, obviously, before I, I uh, get my life straight with God, but after that's done and I'm, and I'm full bore ahead with him, who cares? I'm going to be yelling. If, 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 seriously, if you guys happen to be around when I die, I'm going to look at all of you, wink, and say suckers, and then take my last breath. I'm, I'm coming to. Because you're stuck here. I want to be with my God. And whether here, like Paul said, or, in, or outside of this life, I just want to be with him. And, and I say something funny as one of the points related to fear. I do believe that fear should always be a motivator for deciding to evangelize. Well, that doesn't make sense, Pastor. You just said that we shouldn't be in fear. Well, let me pull on that a little bit. Because here's what fear should motivate us to do. We should have fear that the person God put in front of me right now would not be with him if they died today. That's the only fear that should drive us. That's it. That's it. There's so many fears that can drive us, fears that don't matter. In 100 years, why does it matter if the person cussed me out and said, get out of my house? Who cares? If, if a fear drove me that said, I'm afraid I'm going to say it wrong, at least something was said, right? At least something was said. Well, what if I messed it up? Guys, he's changed thousands of years. He can fix messed up words that come out of me. Moses stutteringly responded with, I'm not, I'm not a good speaker. I picked you, though, Moses. I, did you forget what I said? I am the great I am. I am the becoming one. I am all that you could ever need or all that you ever will need. I think I can handle your stutter. Let me be your words. Let me be your voice. It's important for us to realize that as we look at the concept or the topic of evangelism, I titled the teaching today, Consider Yourself Sent. And, and, and if that doesn't make sense, there's, it's ambiguous for a reason. Maybe you would say, well, well I never did before. Okay, then, then me, by the power and the, and, and the name of Jesus, I am sending you because Scripture sends us. Or maybe you never considered that as the fact. And our life should be considered as sent ones ones that were sent out. I want to read something to you. It's another thing that, you know, we, we happen upon. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Thomas Rainier. Not the family life guy, but he's involved in church leadership and accountability and actively engaging the unchurched and non-Christian cultures. And here's an article he wrote. Here's the title. You ready? What non-Christians really think about Christians. Now, I, I usually say put your feelings away. Put your feelings on for this one. This needs to bother us because it bothered me. One of my greatest joys in research, this is Tom Rainier talking, is talking to and listening to those who clearly identify themselves as non-Christians. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not celebrating their absence of faith. My joy comes from listening to those who don't believe as I do, so I might be better equipped to witness to them. Over the past several years, my research teams and I have interviewed thousands of unchurched non-Christians. Among the more interesting insights I glean were those where the interviewers shared with me their perspectives of Christians. In this article, I grouped seven of the most common types. Number one. 
Christians are against more things than therefore. Think of that. The view of the world is you Christians are just against everything. It's all, you're just against stuff. Here's a quote. He put a quote after each one. It just seems to me the Christians are mad at the world and mad at each other. They're negative, they seem unhappy, and I really have no desire to be like them and stay upset all the time. Now think of that. Number two, I would like to develop a relationship with a Christian. I'm sorry, friendship. Here's a quote. I'm really interested in what they believe and how they carry out their beliefs. I wish I could find a Christian. Listen to this phrase. This is a direct quote. I wish I could find a Christian who would be willing to spend time with me. Willing to spend time. Number three, I would like to learn about the Bible from a Christian. The Bible is fascinating. I don't necessarily want to go to a stuffy and legalistic church to learn about it. It would be nice if a Christian would just invite me to study the Bible at their home or here at Starbucks. Number four, I really don't see much of a difference in the way Christians live their lives compared to others. I really can't tell what a Christian believes because he doesn't seem to be much different than any other people. The only exception maybe would be a Mormon. They really take their beliefs seriously. I wish I could learn to be a better husband, a better wife, a better dad, a better mom from a Christian. My wife is threatening to divorce me, and I think she means it this time. My neighbor's a Christian, and it looks like he has it all together. You know what? I'm going to swallow my pride and ask him to help me. Was a quote when he was asking these questions to people. Number six, some Christians try to act like they have no problems. Harriet works in my department. She's one of those Christians who seem to have a mask on. I would respect her more if she didn't put on an act. I know better. That's why sometimes when I ask people about uh, Christians at work and things like that, and I say, how you doing? They go, blessed. And I go, stop. Stop. You just had one of your family members run over by a car. You don't feel blessed. You feel like jumping off of a bridge. Just say it. Take the mask off. Trust me, how many of us responded to today or this week, hey, how you doing? Good. And you know what I love saying? I love it. I love this. I used to do this all the time. Anybody who would say that to me, I'd go, wow, you're a terrible liar. And they'd stop. And it was so funny. I had one lady one time at work. I'm walking along the hall. I go, hey, how's things going? They're like, oh, it's going great. And I go, you're a terrible liar. What's really going on? <laughs> like in the middle of the work hallway, emotions and crying and tears and everything. And I'm like, I'm glad and I'm sad I asked that. <laughs> but it's amazing sometimes. Think of us. When we ask someone how we're doing, how, how, do we really ask and care? Do we really answer honestly? I love telling an atheist, yeah, it's kind of a cruddy day today. Aren't you a Christian? Well, yeah. I'm not going to let the day define the rest of me. But today's just difficult to deal with. We don't have to be perfect. We should not try to be. Jesus is. So in our imperfection, we point to the perfection. It's important. Here's the number seven that he brought up. He said, I wish a Christian would take me to his or her church. I'd like to visit one, but I'm not going to just show up by myself. What's weird is that I'm 32 years old, and I've never had any of the Christians that I know invite me to, my church, to their church in my entire life. At one time. Wow. Wow. This is not a uh, specific area of the country, because I think all of this can resonate with us. All of it can. And I don't want to say this because I want people to feel bad and sad and say, I'm just a terrible Christian. I'm not good enough for you, God. If you're thinking that right now, please stop. Because guess what? We all is. That's why Jesus is so great. Here's what I want to say. He says here, in one study they conducted, they found that only 5% of non-Christians are antagonistic towards Christians. It's time to stop believing the lies we've been told. Jesus said it clearly. The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers. Satan is the author of excuses. There is no reason to 
wait to reach those who don't know Jesus. We must go, and we must go now. The harvest is waiting, and the Lord of the harvest has already prepared the way. Think of your life as a Christian. As you look at what God has done, that's kind of why the the song was selected. I can't believe what you've done for me. That's just incredible what God has done for us. And it's so important for us to remember that, to be focused on that, because realistically, when when we look at the purpose that God has for us, if we're talking about the concept of telling life what to do, if we're really telling life what to do, the creator of life accomplishes purpose in our life. That's an evidence of that. That God's purposes are my purposes, and they're happening. That's a big deal. It's, it's very important for us to realize that when we think about God's simple vision for us, that we understand that the single most important goal in charge, I com- combine those together, is evangelism. There's nothing higher for a Christian. Remember, we've already accomplished number one. We're no, we're, we are to know him and to get to know him. And then right alongside that, we should have evangelism as the next goal in our life. Again, take the time that we spend, and, and, and trust me, I'm not saying any of this because I'm perfect. I'm not saying any of this because you're all so bad. I'm not saying any of that because of that reason. Please don't think that. And if you think that, that's not coming from my mouth. I want you to understand. I want, God's getting me to understand how important it is for those around us. And I love how Scripture talks about, you know, we're, we're fools for Christ's sake, not because of being foolish, but they have gone to the point where it doesn't matter what the public opinion and the reputation is as long as the word and the message of Jesus Christ is getting out. That's the goal. That's a huge deciding factor if we talk about priorities in our life. So I want to challenge us all with several points related to evangelism for us to look at in Scripture about why it matters. Why is to make him known, number two, why is evangelism so important? Studies have found that only 80% of the average churchgoer believes that evangelism is what they're called to do in their life. And here's the next statistic. This happened by LifeWay. Only 60% of them actually believe that it's something that they should actively be doing. And only 20% have actually done it in the past six months to at least one person. They believe that they should be. Only 60 actually say, I'm going to do it, and only 20 actually have. That's a little number when you start breaking it down. It's a little number. God isn't in the little number. He invented math. He can do big things. He can do massive things. The entire world was transformed from one man, Jesus, talking to 12 men, And even Jesus' gospel work wasn't even 100%. He only got 11 of the 12. But he did what? He obeyed. He obeyed. So here's what I want to challenge us all with. Based on Scripture, here's what we find. Number one, we find that evangelism is every Christian's job. It's every Christian's job. It's my job. It's your job. And a lot of times when we make the decision about whether I should or should not evangelize, we say, well, I don't know if the door is open. Do we breathe, and are they next to us, and do they know Jesus? If the answer is yes, yes, no, then open our mouth. It's that simple. I don't know if it's really the time. I don't know if the Spirit's really, really set things up. You will never know until you obey. I will never know until I obey. Because God is big enough that if it's not the right time, he'll super glue our lips shut if he has to. We're to be casting seed and sending it out there for people to see. Here's what Scripture has to say about evangelism being our job. You'll see in Mark chapter 16, later Jesus appeared to the 11 as they were eating. He spoke firmly to them because they had no faith. They would not believe that those who had seen him after he rose from the dead. He said to them, what? Go into all the world, preach the good news to everyone. There's nothing else. There's nothing else in the Great Commission. The Great Commission doesn't even include what we're doing today. Think of that. 
Now, if this is a tool and a method for us to get closer to, to him and, and, and to, to get filled up, then awesome. We'll use that method as long as it's effective. But the second it doesn't become effective, man, I can't wait for the next move of the Spirit to move us into the next thing that's more effective to the gospel. Because the goal is not church. The goal is not anything else. The goal is not even Christianity. The goal is the message of Jesus done. That's the goal. And that's all that we really should want. Now I know we get distracted. I, I, I'm in that same mix. I get distracted. I sit down sometimes and I think, God, I just, I just want to take two breaths without feeling short of breath. But those are his too. Here's the next verse I want us to think about. Matthew 28, we remember this very clearly, Great Commission. Therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Next verse, verse 20, says this, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And as soon as we, there is fear, there is frustration, teach them everything, baptize, share the gospel. Jesus, I don't know if I can. I'm with you till the very end. I'm not with you only if. I'm with you. I'm with you. He says he's with each of you. That's incredible. That's like walking around. Remember back in school? Bully shows up. Wouldn't it have been awesome to have some guy who's like 6'9 and can literally just pick up a truck and stand behind you like this and going, yeah, mess with my kid. And you walk up to that bully and you just say something and guess what? The bully walks away. Why? Because greater is he that is in me than he that's sitting here taunting me in the world. That's the promise we have with our God. That's the charge that he's given us. Proverbs 11.30, even in the Old Testament, salvation was definitely a message in there. The fruit of righteousness is a tree of life, is our our life life life-giving. And he who captures souls is wise. I want to be wise for my God. I want to capture souls. I don't want to capture accomplishments. I don't want to capture things that, that would... Draw me away and, and mean nothing later in life. And that's not to say that we, we, we can't spend our money wisely and buy the nicer things so that they will last and so we can use that money wiser elsewhere, whatever it is. But that can't be our goal. If anything gets in the way of the gospel, well, God, I need to do this first because I have to do these kinds of things in order for my life to work right. The answer from Jesus is no, that's not true. It's not true. You need me first. You need me no matter what. Yeah, but if I don't get this certain thing, if I don't do this certain regimen, if I don't do these types of things, if I don't get it this way, if I don't hear it this way or say it that way, if, if it's not this person there, this person there, then it, if it doesn't happen my way, then, then I just, I, I, can't, I can't really get into this time with you, God. That's a red flag. I can raise that flag myself. I've done it. I've done it. First time God challenged me to be pragmatic in my life, was when I started having to go into work at six, years ago. I'm like, oh, I'll do my Devo at night. That's a way to make myself feel better all day. And within six months, I hadn't even spent one second in Scripture and in prayer until God said, what matters more, getting into work on time or me? Not that he wanted me late, but he wanted my priorities straight. All right? Get up an hour earlier. Do my devotion time in my office, do my devotion time in my truck, whatever it was. I had to set my life in order that God would be first for me, that my waking moments would be worship, would be prayer, would be scripture, would be a time of recording what he's done in my life, that that's what my waking moments would be focused on and not a news article and not you know, some sort of exercise or diet or, or some kind of activity that has to do with me taking care of me because this tent's going away. What do I do with things that last with my God? Here's the next thing for us to consider. Number two, when we think of telling life what to do and we think of God's purpose in us to, to make him known, we, whether we want to be or not, think of this. Remember what the article said, whether we want to be or not, we are an example and an offer for all to know his message. What does that example look like and what are we really offering? What are we really offering? Are we a scummy diner? That's stingy? When you order bacon with pancakes at our diner, do you get half a piece and then the waitress drops it onto your plate or onto your, your table? Or do we just shower them 
with bacon? How, how do we treat? What's the offer from our life? Well, how do you justify this, Pastor? Thank you for asking. Because Luke has a great picture of this. I, I put this translation up here because it, it wasn't in the app that we have here, but this is a powerful translation of Mark. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 8. And I happened upon it in my studies this past week because I've been going through the Gospel of Luke. And here's what I love about this. Jesus in chapter 8 is talking about the message of God, the message of God, the logos, the logos, the logos. This encapsulated message and purpose of the Gospel to to know his creation again. No one lights a lamp and then covers it with a wash tub or shoves it under a bed. We would never do that. We would never do that. Next verse. No. You set it up on a lampstand so that those who enter the room can see their way. Remember, Jesus' parables had to do with people and the world around them. So when people enter this world or enter our life, in order for them to see their way, we need to be a bright light. We're an offer. Next one. We're not keeping secrets. We're telling Luke chapter 8, you can turn there if you want to follow along, but Luke chapter 8, this is verse 16 through 18. We're not keeping secrets, we're telling them. When Jesus saves us, we should be irritating about it. We're telling secrets. We're not hiding things. We're bringing everything out into the open. And if that light is shining bright, how many of you have, what is it, photophobia, where your eyes don't adjust quickly in bright lights? One, two, three, my wife. That's how I mess with her. You know that feeling, right, when that light, it's like, oh, gosh, it's like it's, like it's yelling at me. Is there a volume knob for it, right? It's just, they don't adjust quick enough. In fact, you think it's too bright in here right now. Are we that way with the world? How does our light really shine? We're bringing everything out into the open. So be careful that you don't become misers of what you hear, of holding on to it and, and saying, well, thank you, God, for what you've done for me. You're amazing. Your, your mission and purpose was amazing. I'm so glad that your love was unconditional with me so I can be conditional with others. No, if we're not overcome and overwhelmed and transformed by his love, we need to be. We need to be. Generosity begets generosity. Stinginess impoverishes. Legalism is very, 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 very impoverishing. Very poor, poor from a spiritual perspective. So as I think of our lives as Christians that we're an example and an offer to know his message, I want to challenge us as Christians in our lives that, that, that as a group of people, Scripture makes it so clear. I believe it's in Philippians uh, and one other place where Paul's writing. He, he, Ephesians also. He outlines this body of Christ picture. And he says this, that a personal mindset focused on evangelism creates unity in the body of Christ. How do I say that? How is that even possible? Well, well here's the reason why. If we have two main things in our life, I need to know him, and then I need to make him known. Why does it matter what color the stage is? Which, by the way, we had someone leave two years ago because they didn't like the color of the stage. Rip my face off about it. Great. Great. So people are going to hell, and you care about color? Whoa. Whoa, people. Whoa. I don't like what the pastor said that Sunday. Well, maybe you should be reading your own Bible. I had someone say that to me one time long conversation with this person. And I wasn't going to change. Not because I'm right and they're wrong, but because what they were asking for was me to meet their preferences. I'm not doing that. I'm here for Jesus. I'm not here for you. I love all of you, but I'm here for God first. It's so important that we realize, and this is a good challenge, if, if things are, are getting irritating, if a brother or sister is, is bothering us or this group of things or how something's happening is bothering us, here's a great indication that we are not in unity. We don't have a common enemy and a common goal. The enemy is the enemy of our souls. No one else. And the common goal is to snatch those souls from the power of hell. And if we need to, we go in and we rip those pillars down in the name of Jesus. And we're part of his salvation army. 
a personal mindset individually for us as a church, just as a gathering of believers at Rise Chapel. That, that personal mindset of being all about the gospel and evangelism and, and having God in me and then flowing out of me, that changes things, doesn't it? It doesn't matter if someone took your parking spot or seat as long as someone's hearing about Jesus. That's what matters. Now I'm just going to get like random colored seats from the 70s and paint this puke baby diaper brown. Oh, wait. Because it doesn't matter. There's so many preferences we get caught up in. I remember sitting down with a friend of mine. It's about two or three years ago. We were talking about, he was sharing with me something that had happened with him from a previous pastor and how he had, struggled with coming back to church in general. He loved Jesus very much, but he struggled with putting himself under a pastor because his first salvation experience was in this church, and then as he grew underneath it, the pastor just abused him. And he said, there were so many things that got caught up with, with how this pastor wanted things and this control that the pastor wanted and things related to money and things related to people. And how the pastor lived his life was the way that everybody else had to. If you homeschooled, you were pulled aside after service and talked bad about if you didn't homeschool. If you didn't do this, you were pulled aside and lectured. If you did this, you were pulled aside and lectured. And it went on for years. And I got so, this is a good friend of mine, I got so frustrated. I said, can I just vent about this person right now with you? I said, yeah. I said, how dare he? And I yelled this in my office. How dare he? While people are dying, going to hell, worry about homeschooling. You kidding me? And he stopped and he's like, yeah, and I said, sorry, I just had to let that out because we just we lose focus because when, when our things become the main thing, that's a bad thing. That's a bad thing. We want God's things to be our things. It's so important that, that the message of Jesus is flowing out of us. And if it's ever skewed, if it's ever changed in any way, I'll tell you right now, I got frustrated. My wife was trying to work on computer stuff. I hate computer stuff, even though I used to do it for 20 years. And I was just being impatient with her. And I had to apologize to her. And I apologized to two of the people because I was just frustrated. I don't want to ever skew the message of Jesus. Ever. I love apologizing to people that don't know Jesus about how I wasn't acting like Jesus. You want to make someone feel uncomfortable that doesn't know Jesus? Say, listen, I'm really sorry. I was totally impatient and talked bad about someone at work yesterday. Uh, we all were. That doesn't make it right. I was a bad example of Jesus to you, and I'm sorry. Can we go do something now? Because now I feel awkward. <laughs> I love it. We're supposed to be a Christian. Aren't we supposed to be right and have everything together? No. No. We go to the one who is right and who does have it all together. That's the difference with us. Here's number three for us to think about when we think about evangelism. (sighs) Some of us have the t-shirt. Some of us have quoted it. Preach the gospel everywhere, and if necessary, use words. Take that, throw it away. If you have the shirt, burn it. If you have a picture in your house, burn it. It's not true. Why? Because Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says that evangelism requires lifestyle and words. Lifestyle and words. How do I say that? Well, let's look at it. Romans 10, 17 says, Consequently, faith comes from what is heard. And what is heard comes through the preached word of Christ. You know what that word is? It's not logos. It's not a concept or a message or an encapsulation. You know what it is? It's the Greek word rhema. You know what rhema means? Spoken words. We can't try and continue to act like Christians and people are going to go, I want to be like you. No, they don't. They need to hear the truth. They need to hear the truth from us. They need to hear the truth in love. They need to actually know that they can talk to us and be 99% wrong, and we'll look at them and love them. Well, what if they talk about things that are illegal and wrong? Get over it. But I want them to know about what's right. No, stop. If we want to make them right, we're not sharing the gospel. We want to make them Jesus's. And making them right can't happen without righteous in them. It's so important for us to realize when we look at number four here, no, someone else isn't going to do it. Someone else isn't going to talk to your family member, your coworker. God put you there. God put me there. Well, God, I just pray that you'd send a believer into their life. 
I did. It's you. Well, I don't know if I really... You're their neighbor. You're their coworker. You're their parent. You're their friend. You're their sister. You're their brother. You're their whomever. No, someone else isn't going to do it. We are. We are. Jesus said, and remember the verse before this, Jesus was broken. He looked at them like just herded and abused and beaten sheep. And he looks at it and he says, guys, the disciples, he says, the harvest is huge. It's great, but the workers are few. He's sitting there watching his sheep getting abused and there's no one out there looking over them. He says, the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers to the field. Let me ask you all, as a pastor, but also as a brother in Christ, write down right now, if you have to use a knife on your hand, do it. Write down right now. Pray this verse every day with me. I wrote it on my whiteboard this morning, or uh, two mornings ago when God shared it with me. Write it on your hand if you have to. Write it somewhere, wherever you can keep it. Pray this with me. We need more people. All of us do. We've got more seats in here. What if we fill up? Then we'll start double stacking seats. I don't care. That's God's problem. And you guys know that my heart is not to build a church up vertically and build some sort of dynasty. As soon as we get too big, guess what? I'm looking at some of you. Where are you going to go plant? Where are you going to go teach? Where are you going to go do something? I'll mentor you. I'll teach you. I'll guide you. I'll work through everything, and I'll teach you everything that I know, and hopefully Spirit will teach you more because I'm not perfect. And then we go out and do the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. Well, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. Good. Good. Because now you've got to depend on God. Can we leave now? It's almost time. You're going to end early today? No. Definitely not. Workers are few. Number five. What is a Christian to think about in this life, about evangelism, about making him known? The gospel is self-powered, and we have confidence in that. That's where we can place our confidence. Not, not in some specific way that I carefully trick them and take them down. Like, well, pastor, I've, I've tried all those evangelism methods before. I've done the classes and all that stuff, and I've tried to take people through it, and they don't even pay attention because it's boring. If we're not focused on what the Spirit has to say or what the gospel, the power of Jesus Christ is going to do in those seeds that are planted, then we're trying to push our own agenda. We're trying to push our own feelings. The gospel is self-powered. It is, it is massive. It's filled with power. Writer to Romans is saying this, for I am not ashamed of the good news. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is God's, let me hear it, power it's god's power and it will save everyone who believes think think of paul a little little spunky jewish guy he's like man i'm not ashamed of the good news it's god's power this is awesome anybody who believes they're going to get saved it's meant first for the jews but it's also meant for everyone else can't you see that little squatty guy just running around yelling this dictating it to whoever's writing it maybe you guys don't have the imagination i do but that's what i see He's like, I'm not ashamed of this. I'm not. They had to drag him away like, okay, Paul, they're killing you right now, so let's just wait a minute. Okay, can I go back out now after he comes too? We need to have that fire for him. It's self-power. We don't have to worry about, I don't know what the words to say or whatever. You know what? Just talk. How was your day? Terrible. Why? How was your day? Great. You're a terrible liar. What's really going on? Whatever it is, genuinely care. Find a way to get into that person's life. The parable of the seeds and the soils is so amazing because when Jesus explains it, he doesn't put the responsibility on the sower in the sense of response to the gospel. He doesn't even put the responsibility on the seeds because the seeds are self-powered. The responsibility on the response to the gospel is the soil. The sower has one job. And what did it say about the sower? He picked just a few places when he thought they were ready for it. No, he didn't. He was chucking it out there machine gun style. Anywhere, anyhow. That's the goal. What about we shouldn't put pearls before swine? Don't misuse that. That's not an evangelistic discussion. 
That's a, that's a doctrinal discussion. That unfortunately was uh, meant more for people who want to abuse the truth of God. Here's something else. Number six, God doesn't require results. He requires obedience. Think of that. He doesn't require results. He requires obedience. How are we responding to what he's called us to do? Well, Joe, I've I've shared the gospel so many different times, and I've never prayed with someone to accept Jesus. That's hard. I know the feeling. But praise God for your obedience because that's what he calls us to. And you don't know what will happen. I had people come to me years, years and years after sharing the gospel with them. And they knew Jesus. I had one guy I prayed for for over three years. They finally came to me. I was the first person they came to. Like, listen, listen, listen. Years ago when you talked to me, it irritated me to death and I kicked you out of my office. But I got Jesus now. We don't know how it's going to happen. We don't know when it's going to happen. But we do know that God said, throw the seed, throw the seed, throw the seed. It's the soil's problem to figure it out. It's the seed's power that will make the change. But throw the seed. That's what he says. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul writing to Timothy says this. Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. You know the word of truth, another way to say it? The gospel. The message. Next one. When we're talking about the work that God has called us to, in Ezekiel, God speaking to the prophet says, listen, I have appointed you as a watchman for the house of Israel. When you hear a word from my mouth, then you must warn them from me. You can continue reading if you want to write your notes down. Verse 18 and 19 say, listen, if I give a warning for judgment and you choose not to say anything, I come to you first for responsibility of their blood. But if, you, if I give a warning about their judgment and you tell them and they don't listen, you stand before me blameless. Now I think about that for me. Man, I know that there's judgment coming. Philippians talks about it. It says, listen, they're going to see the unity of Jesus in your life. They're going to see that, 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 that power of the Spirit unifying you guys, and that will terrify them, and they will finally believe in judgment. Why? Because we actually live like we believe it. That's the difference that Paul's talking about. That's the power that God's talking about. And I don't want to just stop there. I don't just want to stop with, with this feeling of, okay, I feel like you do now, Pastor Joe. I feel like I just, oh, i got to do something about what God has told me to do. Or maybe you don't. Maybe you're just mad at me right now and you're like, listen, I don't come to church for this. Either way, I want to share some practical things for us to consider when it comes to evangelism. Because th- there are things that are difficult sometimes about what do I do? And, and, and for different personalities, I had a friend of mine who's somewhat introverted, and, and he looked at me, and he said, it, it, it blew me out of the water. We're sitting here talking. It was late, actually. He stopped by the church to say hey to me, and we're talking, and he goes, I asked him, I said, how's that conversation with your boss? Because he had told me his boss wasn't a Christian. was very antagonistic to him. And I challenged him. I said, don't, don't fall to his antagonism. He's testing to see if you really believe what you say because he told you he thinks all Christians are fakes. So don't fall for it. Just say, yeah, you're right, man. Sometimes we're idiots. But you know what? I'm so glad I got Jesus to forgive me for this stuff. And I, and I talk with him. He says, he says, Joe, even you just asking me that question, you're like a, you can actually talk. Like, you can walk up to anybody, you, you don't even know them, you can just, beep, 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 like, you're best friends with them, and you walk away exchanging phone numbers and a message of Jesus. I can't do that. I, I'm like, I, my heart starts pounding just thinking of people, let alone talking to them. Hello, Moses. God still wants to use us. God may say, you know what, I'm going to build some weird kid named Joe, and he's going to want to talk to as many people as possible. I'm going to make him weird and talk a lot. And then I'm going to make the little quiet person because there's someone else that needs a one-on-one about Jesus. You never know. But that we're obeying his calling. That's what he calls us to. So let me walk through 
Four points to close. What do we do to evangelize? How do we, how do we now take this and put it into action? Well, here's number one. Realize, and, I, and I'm very serious about this, if you have to pray this and have God show you more ways, realize that you, I, am charged and empowered to share him. If today you are truly a Christian, a Christ-following, absolute, maybe not the passionate, you, most passionate you want to be, maybe you don't pray as much as you think you should, whatever it is, but you know that you love Jesus and your compass is pointing towards him and his cross, then this applies to us. Realize you are charged and empowered to share him. You are told by God to do it and you have his power. You have it. Chapter and verse, are you ready? Acts chapter one, verse eight, here's what it says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my what? My witnesses. Telling people about me where? Everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to Wasilla. That's what he called. He didn't say, I'm going to make you guys just like so amazing. People are going to want to make a TV show about you because every one of you are going to be dynamite. You're just going to be, oh, wow, he's so amazing to listen to and he does really weird things with his hands and all this crazy stuff. No, no, no. He says what? I'm going to make you my witnesses. He didn't say to thousands at one time. He says, I'm going to make you my witnesses and you're going to be talking about Jesus everywhere. That's what we need to be doing. A good challenge for us as Christians when we make big decisions in our life, we need to ask the question, does this help me advance the gospel or does it hinder me? And ask God to show us that. I've made job decisions with that question being answered the wrong way. I've made uh, decisions, obviously, here at the church of, wait, does it help us reach, grow, and send? Does it help us reach, grow, and send? And if the answer is, well, it would be fun, then the vision isn't mature yet. We we may do it later, but it's not mature if we can't outline how it fits in the vision of the gospel. Next, number two, earnestly, sincerely, humbly pray to be broken for the lost and to be faithful to the mission. Not faithful to the results, but the mission. Go and preach. Go and tell. Go and rema. Speak, speak those words of truth. Be faithful to that. Pray for that. You'll see here, we've already read it already, but Jesus charged us, and I challenged everyone here to pray this with me. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. But then I think of Jeremiah. This was a verse when I got frustrated about preaching. And I got frustrated about the lack of response to the gospel. Jeremiah himself in almost event session says, sometimes I think I won't talk about him anymore. I'll, I'll never speak in his name again. And you think about Jeremiah, the most unsuccessful missionary ever. Not one convert, not one response to the message of God. And he looks at this, he's like, listen, forget it. I've never led anybody to God. I've never had a life change around me. In fact, the more I dig deeper into this nation, it's more horrific than I ever could have imagined. And then he says this, but then... Your message burns in my heart. It's like a fire inside my very bones. I am tired of holding it in. In fact, I can't. I want that for me. I want that for you. Pray for that passion and that faithfulness to him. To be his very worker. Number three, challenges. Challenges share in humility and patience. Now think of you, I don't know how many of you came to Christ later in life or returned to Christ later in life, but was it the, the, the militant Bible beater that got you to go, oh, you're, you're totally right, I love this, hit me again, I need Jesus. No. No, those are the ones that probably teach us why we don't want to evangelize. It was the one that just said, hey, let's go grab coffee. And you ranted about all the political things and the history of the church, and then the Christian agreed with you. Because you're not going to find me defending the history of the church. It's embarrassing. I'm not going to take a side in politics. Most of the time, I think politics is a waste of emotions. Right now, there's briberies going all over D.C. to try and get this bill to pass so people can go back to work. It's all politics. 
Share in humility and patience. Scripture, here we go. 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord isn't really slow about his promises, some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. If God himself, the one who is the messenger, is patient with the gospel getting out, we need to be too. Don't you need Jesus now? Yes, we know they need Jesus now. Absolutely need Jesus now. But let the Spirit do the work. Let the seed sprout some and get it going. And you be there to water and water and water and water and water and water. So they will eventually one day respond. It's important. He says that he does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to be repentant or be or to repent. Next, in 1 Peter, in his first letter, he says this, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, run! No. No, this right here says you're always to be ready to explain it. What does that mean? That means there's preparation. That means there's vision. That means there's passion. That means you're sitting there going, man, ask me about Jesus, because I'm about ready to explode. Always be ready to explain it. I love when people ask me what's wrong with me. Because I usually say a lot of things. Like literally, I just say there's a lot of things wrong with me. But then I love it. It's like throwing up in two double doors. Like, come on into my home. Tell me about what your life is like. And I'm thinking in my mind, suckers, Holy Spirit, fill me. Help me take care of this problem. I love it. It's huge. Next, number four. A lot of times... I in my life, and this is somewhat where it came from, my life in the past, was I wanted to keep sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel, and I wouldn't shut up. I wouldn't close my mouth to let them respond to me because, you know, they might say something wrong. They might not respond to it the right way because what I want them to say is, oh, I need Jesus, Joe, you're right. How how many of us have ever, be be absolutely brutally honest, how many of you would love if that was the response to an evangelistic message from you? I'm raising two hands. Absolutely. You're sitting at work, and they're typing on the computer, and you go, hey, you need Jesus. And they're like, I know. I'd love that. It's called fantasy land. Okay? Because how many of us responded that way in front of 500 people that, you know, sign our paychecks, and we have to look at every day? Zero. And we need to fall on our knees in front of Jesus, and that's something different. We need to learn to set the stage and be quiet. Where does that come from? Well, actually, Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians. He says this, For Christ didn't send me to baptize, do physical works to force people into salvation, but to preach the good news, and not with clever speech, for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. He didn't send me to be a big mouth. He sent me to just share the truth. It's tempting sometimes to be like, man, God, help me to twist it, you know? Like, but, but wait, there's more. For $9.95, you can have two more. Wait a second. We're not salespeople. We're not peddling the word of God. Like, listen, you're right. You're messed up. And boy, so am I. But not anymore. Not anymore. I don't understand it. And just like the song sings, I can't believe what you did for me, the price you paid for me, the price that God paid for me. You know my life, God. Can we share that with somebody else? Can we hand that out to somebody else? Don't worry about the details of, of some of the things. What if they ask me a question I don't know? Then say you don't know. Because humility is more important than being a, know, a know-it-all. Know-it-alls are irritating anyways. Spend time to let God use you. And then just sit back and let it happen. Here's some of the common things that we get caught up in. Well, what if they say something that I don't agree with? Sinners are wrong. Get over it. What if they're not the same political party? Don't even start. Well, what if they say this about this? What if they say that about that? Let them be wrong the whole time. You know what they're doing? They're proving your case. They're proving your case. My case. I want to share Jesus, and they talk, and and they speak incorrectly. They're swearing. They're talking about all the things they're doing. They may even be partially buzzed on some trashy alcohol, whatever it is. And then at the very end of it all, they look at you, and and then you say, yeah, I kind of agree. Religion is a sham. But man, 
What Jesus came to establish was not a religion, not some sort of Christianity thing, not some church. He came to establish his people. And we call it the church, and it's been confused for so many years, and so many things have been done with the name of Jesus, but that doesn't make it him involved. And I agree with you, it's terrible what's happened. But that's not what I'm sharing with you. I'm sharing with you the work that Jesus did in me. Because that's all I can give you an account for. And they were wrong the whole time. Who cares? They are going to be wrong. Oh, I can't deal with pigs, Joe. They stink. Okay, Captain Obvious. That's what's really going on. We're not going to them because they're all right and have it all together. We're going to them because we know exactly what it is to be all wrong and not have it together and still know that there's something out there we don't know yet. That's why. Here's the next thing to consider. We're not sent to prove them wrong or ourselves right. We're sent to deliver the message of Jesus. Some of us call it apologetics, but it's a debate to prove them wrong. Now, sometimes we need to have that discussion because they want that, and that's, that's, that's good discussion. But the goal can never be, <laughs> I'm going to prove them wrong. I'm going to prove that creation happened. Who cares if Jesus wasn't the center goal? Now, that might have just rubbed a few people the wrong way. You're not defending creationism? No, I'm not going to worry about defending creationism because sometimes I lose the goal of defending my Jesus first. First Corinthians says their mind doesn't get it. They're not going to believe in a creator. They need to believe that they do have a God that wants to be with them. And maybe he's a creator and there was evolution and there was all these things that were going on. Who cares? Get to Jesus first. And as he comes in, like Romans says, through the renewing of our minds, we will know his will. But we cannot know that until he's renewed our minds. First Corinthians chapter 3, the whole chapter. The carnal mind doesn't know the things of the, of the Spirit. It can't understand them. But we were given, like Romans says, a little piece, a little piece of faith to say, okay, uh, Jesus or, or, or whomever, forgive me. We have just enough for one step into his kingdom. And then we're just loaded up with grace and faith after that. So we can get caught up in that. And, and, and I want to challenge you. There's a video that's been running around on the internet. I've got a friend of mine that does uh, active ministry to uh, same-sex attraction and others within the church and without the church. And there's a series of phrases in that. And it, and it says, it's not gay to straight. That's not our mission. It's not wrong to right. It's not our mission. It's not immoral to moral. That's not our mission. Our mission is one thing. It's lost to found. That's the mission. That's it. Our job is not to stop someone from doing naughty things and to stop them from saying wordy dirds, to stop them from being mean to people, to stop them from getting drunk, to stop them from sleeping around, to stop them from same-sex attraction. And one of that, that is not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is one thing. Come to Jesus. Done! That's it. Someone yell an amen. That's it. That's it. Man, don't get Baptist on me when I'm on fire like this. Whew. God is just really pushing us inside, and, and I'm going to be the first pusher. We're not here for church. We're not here for us. We're here for his vision and purpose. That's his whole goal. I saved you unto my purpose. And guess what? It's going to be terrible sometimes. But I'm with you, Joe. I am with you, Joe. God, I don't feel like you're here. I'm here. Where are you, Joe? We can get so caught up in trying to moralize and trying to politicize. I remember in the middle of a political debate with someone years ago. <laughs> and I got to the end and I proved he was wrong economically and I got home and I was so arrogant and I sat down and thinking oh a five million pound weight sat on my face and it was one phrase he's still going to hell he's going to vote the same as you now but he's going to hell Whoa. I don't care how you vote I don't care who or with what you sleep with. I don't care how much food or alcohol you consume. If I don't get the message of Jesus into you, ain't none of that going to be fixed. Not one thing. I want to close with a question, or a question for us all, and then I'll leave some homework up there. I'll go back to that. 
You can put your Bibles and your notes away. As I told you, I'm not stopping on time today. I apologize. No, I don't know that I... Okay, I do care because these chairs are terrible. But here's a question for us to ask while you're putting your notes and your Bible away. Is Jesus my life-consuming passion? Now, there's a, it's a yes or no question. And here's the beauty of it. I'm not saying is he yours. I'm saying is he mine. And I just thought of this, and I don't know what we're going to do with it, but take a sticky note when you get home. Put it on your mirror. Put it on your car, on the, on the dash, or your, or your horn. <laughs> when you get ready to honk at the person that made you late to work, and you go, is Jesus your consuming passion? Put it somewhere. And ask that question, because I need to ask myself that question. I actually had to have that, because I, I was an active honker for people who sinned on the roadway. And sinning on the roadway meant you didn't do what I wanted you to. Everybody that laughs, like, I agree. Put a sticky note on your horn. Ask yourself that. Let's close our eyes and close in prayer this morning. For those that did not answer that question with a yes, I want you to raise your hand and pray with me. Every eye closed, every head bowed. Raise your hand and pray with me. Raise your hand. Amen. 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 Anyone else? Amen. 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 You know what? I'm changing it up. Let's everybody come up front. Let's all gather together because I think the answer should be no but yes and yes but more. Amen? Squeeze in as close as, and as awkward as we can. There we go. Come on, everybody closer, 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 closer. We've all showered. It's early in the morning. It's not stinking yet. Too much. Come on, squeeze in, squeeze in, squeeze in, squeeze in. Imagine doing this in a mega church. Come on, come on, get closer. Squeeze in closer. We don't care how you smell. I know Tilo smells good. Come on up here, buddy. Come on up here, guys. God, please be our passion. Please consume our life, God. Lord, we want the message of Jesus to just overwhelm us, Lord, and and help us to realize and, and have the message of that song, I can't believe what you've done for me, but thank you. Lord, help us to be united and on fire with the passion for Jesus. Help us to be so overwhelmed with it that we're just that irritating Christian that that even though life is hard, we want to direct ourselves to Jesus and direct others to Jesus. God, in the areas of our life where we are not sharing your truth, convict us. Lord, help us to be on fire for that stuff. Help us to to do the things that would be a great image of Jesus to, to others. Lord, if there are things in our life that distract your message, convict us and remove it, please. If there are things in our life that tell the non-Christian that we're not really serious, it's just kind of a church thing, Lord, convict us and remove it, please. And God, I pray for that one person or that two or maybe even many more that don't know you right now, that you aren't their consuming passion because you never have been. I pray for their heart right now, God, that that seed would just burst inside of them and grow. That that soil would be tilled and healthy and that they would see these irritating Christians from Rise Chapel that actually care about the message of Jesus. All together in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.